Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DXM podcast. I am Colborn Bell. I am joined today by artist Amir H. Fala. Amir, it's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we start in the same place, but we don't always go the same places. And that would be to ask you about yourself, anything you'd like to share, uh, and how you came to be involved with NFTs. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm primarily a painter, uh, although I do all sorts of things from, I mean, just this uh, past year, I've done stained glass works, uh, sculptures and bronze, aluminum, um, all sorts of things. So um, I don't really limit myself as far as like material or medium. Um, I just go where wherever my interests lie. But um, yeah, I come from the contemporary art world. Um, although I, there is a unique kind of element to my story where while I was going to art school, I got into graphic design because I started publishing an art, art and design magazine called Beautiful Decay. So I ended up teaching myself graphic design and uh, did that professionally, um, both for my own company and then also for museums and galleries and all sorts of businesses as, as essentially as a day job for well over a decade. Um, so I have a lot of experience in the design world and also with, in the illustration world. I used to hire a lot of photographers, designers, illustrators uh, for my publication and clothing line. So I have a lot of experience in that world. So um, so all of that to say, um, in late 2020, I had a couple of uh, collectors of mine who collect my work, my physical work. Um, they came to me and said, hey, there's this new thing called the NFT. Have you ever heard of it? And I had no idea what it was. I had barely heard of crypto. And, you know, I knew what Bitcoin was, but that was about it. And both of these guys were heavily, you know, um, invested in crypto and through crypto, they got into NFTs and they said, you should look into it. We think your work would do really well with it. It's really exciting. It's, um, and um, I've always had an interest in things that are on the fringes or more experimental. My magazine kind of came out of that. Um, and so I started researching it and uh, you know, the more I looked into it, I, you know, I, I got I got the concept immediately um, because I worked with so many designers and illustrators and people that used uh, that made digital work, um, whether it was like video or animations or GIFs that couldn't monetize it. And I was like, oh, this is a great, great way to monetize that work and actually sell it and collect it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I released my first piece on Super Rare, um, which my collector friends, uh, they kind of helped facilitate that relationship. And um, it did well. And, um, you know, next thing I know, I'm like down the rabbit, <laughs> rabbit hole. And, you know, the more you get into it, the more interesting it gets. And, um, and here I am almost, you know, uh, two and a half years, years later. later. And, yeah, and I'm... You know, I'm still, I feel like I'm still pretty heavily involved. Um, and there's not, you know, it's a, there's very few people from the contemporary art world that um, are actually involved in like a day-to-day -day basis. There's a lot of people that kind of come 
and release a project, try to maybe cash in or like they experiment with it and then they're like, ah, this isn't for me or, you know, they leave. But um, for whatever reason, I've been really interested in it and uh, keep continuing to release things and, and just, you know, take part in the community. Yeah, maybe we can talk about just more specifically the, the, those points of interest that even through kind of like this crazy hype cycle have kind of grounded you and kept you here. Yeah, you know, like, well, like I said, I've always been interested in things on the fringes um, and things that are experimental. So yeah, the way I got into contemporary art was through graffiti. I was a graffiti writer. I started taking art classes to get better at being to get better at graffiti essentially and then i realized oh i love art um and then you know um and then my magazine was one of the first magazines to ever cover you know what turned into street art we actually used to in the early 2000s we had a section called public art um, because the term street art didn't exist but it was like everything that was graffiti that didn't fit into like the the traditional uh you know, framework of like American graffiti, which is like focused on letters. So I've always been kind of interested in these new things that are coming up. And um, so I think, I think NFTs was just like an extension of that. And then also because I did a lot of design work, um, I felt very comfortable using a computer. I use, I use a uh, Photoshop to create all my paintings. So um I started exploring the idea of like, what would it mean if I made something that was a digital piece that only existed digitally? So I wasn't really a fan of taking a painting and selling like a digital version of it. That, that didn't really excite me at all. And yeah. um, it still doesn't excite me. But the idea of making something that's meant to be on a monitor, that's meant to be seen on a laptop or a phone, I find that really interesting. And trying to exploit that that um, that limitation, you know, to create new types of work. I mean, that's an analogy with uh, graffiti that I haven't heard in a while. You know, I think the the earlier spirit of the artist was, you know, now the the public art of the streets is online, and this is kind of our way to just get it up there, get it out there, call it our art. Um, so I, I think it makes sense ultimately that you, you would kind of come back around and be attracted to kind of that, the permissionless aspect of this. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of similarities between like the graffiti world and then later on the street art world yeah. and the cycles that those markets have had in popularity. Uh, and sales um, and being embraced by, you know, collectors um, and what's happening in NFTs. Like, I, I almost feel like when I got involved in NFTs, like as things were happening, I was like, oh, I've been here before. I've been here when I was there when street art exploded and all my friends who were like broke, all of a sudden were printing money and there was all these speculative collectors uh, coming in and trying to cash in and like jacking up prices. Um, so, you know, I'm middle-aged, I'm, I'm 43 years old. So, you know, I've kind of been through a couple of cycles, just not necessarily in, in the NFT space, but I've seen a lot of these things. And, you know, I get in a lot of, I get a lot of flack because I'm, I'm fairly vocal um, on Twitter and in spaces about 
kind of the market side of things. And it's because I've just seen what's happened to my friends, both good and bad in the street art world and graffiti art world, where they had these huge career booms and they, they were like printing money overnight. And many of them thought it was sustainable, but really it wasn't. And the ones that it was sustainable for, really they, most of them got absorbed into the contemporary art world. Because at the end of the day, they were just making art just in like a niche part of the art world. And I see that happening with a lot of NFT artists. And, you know, that's why like Tyler Hobbs is like doing projects with Pace. Uh, it's kind of the same thing just happening over and over again. But I think like six months ago, a lot of people would get mad when I would like point out these things. Like you can't just keep selling stuff for millions of dollars when you've been making art for like a year. And uh, now people are seeing now people are seeing seeing how the you know these kind of cycles work. Well, I have to say, your uh, the wisdom that you do publicly share is always like I think very well intentioned and very well guided, and it's very like welcome and important because so much of the time, obviously, Twitter just creates these echo chambers. Um, yeah, and it it does become just rather mindless. Uh, so, you know, what would your advice be then for people who might have been kind of caught up in, in these cycles? I mean, just speaking to the artists in particular. Well, I think the biggest thing is that if you, if you're interested in art, if you're an artist or, or whether you're an artist or a collector or an advocate, whatever it is, if, if you say you're interested in art, you should be interested in all types of art because what's happening, what the medium is really not that uh, it's, it's probably the least interesting thing. It's really like what you're saying and how you're, you're using, you're using a visual com uh, language to communicate. And so that doesn't really, that, that isn't categorized by medium, you know, like I never talk about like my oil paint or acrylic paint with some like um, endless fascination. It's not about the material. It's about what I'm doing with the material and so i would say go to galleries go to museums like art art is a has a long history for thousands of years that humans have added on to and so you can't have generative art if you didn't have minimalist abstraction hmm. you know and if you didn't you couldn't have had minimalist abstraction if you didn't have what came before that and what became before that it's this lineage that's added on to and Again, I see I see the space changing a lot, and I see people kind of coming to this realization that everything's connected and nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, but I think just like the art, the contemporary art world needs to be more open to that concept of NFTs um, and digital artists. Uh, digital artists, younger digital artists, have to be open to everything that came before them because there are lessons to be learned both from the market side, but also from on a content side. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty us versus them in the beginning. You know, there was a, a, a almost a, a naivety and, you know, a, a willingness to kind of just disregard everything that came before. I think there has been an increased softness and, and you know, willingness on both sides um, to, to meet somewhere in the middle. I think, you know, the prevailing contemporary art world critique of NFTs is, oh, it was just a market innovation. Digital art was always here. Um, let's just use it to kind of sell what we know and who people know. Uh, and, 
you know, I think there is something interesting here, more digitally, perhaps native people that are beginning to kind of find their voice and their community. And uh, do you have just kind of any, any thoughts on that? Do you think it is kind of bringing new artists up and into these worlds? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the one nice thing is it just makes art more accessible and it makes artists uh, sharing their work more accessible. And I think yeah. that's uh, that's something to be celebrated, you know. And um, and I also think, you know, like the thing that excites me for N with NFTs the most is that a lot of work that's digital but ephemeral, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. can now be... Um, now there's something that people can feel excited about owning, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, I, think, I think that's only gonna increase. So like if you're a performance artist, you know, yeah. now you can make an NFT of that performance and sell that, you know? Or if you're a video artist, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I had a lot of friends that were video artists and they used to try to make objects that went along with their videos as a way of like validating the video because it was so hard to sell video art and so i think nfts have the potential to like solve that problem now you know there's limitations with time you know some people make very long video art and you know you can't there's there's platform limitations but i think that's a temporary issue um but yeah i just believe in being very open and curious i think Artists' number one job is to be curious. So I saw this new thing and I said, let me try it out. Let me let me see what I can do with it. And it took me about four or five months before I kind of like found what I wanted to do with it, which is very like rudimentary. And um, it's a very low tech approach to NFTs, what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but it feels sincere and it feels like my own little space that I can explore that I can't do in paint or sculpture or you know, installation or anything Yeah, will, will you talk more about the work that you do tokenize? Yeah, so, you know, the first piece I made, um, which I started working on in January of 2021, but didn't actually mint till March of 2021, was right after, I think I sold it right after the Beeple, the big Beeple sale. Mm -hmm. But um, so I made a painting and um, I started, you know, I was asking a lot of questions about what does it mean to sell like a digitized version of a painting. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 um, I made this painting, an analog painting, and then I burned it. And I made a video piece of the piece burning. And uh, the auction was to get the image of the burned uh, piece and um, the video documenting it. So it was kind of questioning like what is, which one's the original, yeah. um, uh, what's authentic and really it was it was also an homage to uh, a famous work by john baldessari who is a professor of mine at ucla who famously um when he kind of declared that he was a conceptual artist he took all of his prior paintings and set them on fire and cremated them and then um, sold the ashes uh so it was it was referencing many things but that was kind of like the main point but after that i said okay well you know this is a one-off idea. I can't keep doing this and I'm certainly not gonna make paintings and, and make a digital version of it. So I started thinking about, you know, I, I became interested in like the idea that something low resolution 
looks really great on a monitor, looks great on a digital screen. So like pixelization, uh, bit mapping, um, uh, you know, all these kind of like low tech digital reprinting uh, kind of languages are, are really interesting to me. And I think it comes from my early interest of like creating a zine and mm -hmm. going to Kinko's and like making like a punk rock zine that turned into a magazine later on. Um, so <clears throat> I realized in GIFs that, you know, GIFs kind of break down this image into this like pixelated uh, image where all these beautiful patterns happen that the artist really doesn't have a control of. And so much of my work is about patterning and ornamentation and embellishment. And so I started creating these digital collages that look very similar to my paintings, but these digital collages never get made into paintings. They exist only digitally. And I started exploiting all these very basic Photoshop, uh, you know, ways of like breaking down images, reducing color, uh, layering transparencies. And so they kind of, I guess, maybe you could call it glitch art, uh, although I don't really think of myself as a glitch artist. Uh, but um, I started being able to create these new types of patterns that I couldn't make in paint, I couldn't replicate in, by hand. And, uh, and I also like the idea that I would never print these. Like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of selling prints of my NFTs. Like, that's not something, or at least for now, the works that I'm making now, I want them to only be viewed on a monitor or, or in some digital capacity um, because they're made specifically for that format. So I like the idea that they start on a computer, they end on a computer or on a monitor, um, and they're like truly like digitally native. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things I'd, I'd like to dig into there. I. <laughs> I remember, you know, very early on acquiring a work from an artist and uh, and putting it in the museum. And then they reached out and said, we never want this work to be shown in virtual reality. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I thought that was funny because, uh, you know, every this, it's it's very primitive, right? All of the work here is is very primitive. There was no you know, there was nothing in this format that really came before that. So I, I kind of see your exploration of like the lo-fi, low-res um, re reduction of the work to that as, as just like beginning to step in and explore what it means maybe to create primitives in this space. Yeah, well, you know, another thing uh, I, I forgot to mention is that <clears throat> a lot of the way I create my paintings uh, start on the computer. So... I use a lot of found imagery from digital archives, whether they're museum databases that are digitized or public libraries, um, to Flickr and Instagram, to images that I just take with my phone. So I have these huge digital archives of thousands of images. And so when I make a new painting, um, I go and I, I kind of have an overarching theme or idea, and then I go and pull images from these archives and then I start collaging them and uh, manipulating them, adding them together, taking things away, adding elements. And those are usually the basis for my paintings. So all my paintings start mm. digitally. But then I you know, project that image and then I paint it and it's a very analog process. So um, with this newer work, I thought, well, what if I don't do that and I actually start and end the entire 
process on on the computer. So um, all the images are all the imagery is found online or digitized in some capacity, and then um, computer allows me to kind of move things around like a jigsaw puzzle um, until like they kind of snap together, and then I do you know various layers of you know I might take an image, make it black and white, color it digitally, then uh, then half tone it, then hand color it again, and then output it as a GIF. So it might go through like hundreds of these kind of process of like breaking down the image, adding detail to it, breaking it down again until essentially it just feels right. Yeah, so you're satisfied. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe we can talk more about, I, I want to I try and put the words to it. Maybe it's object permanence. Uh, is there something about the fact that, you know, there is the potential for these works, these actions being on kind of decentralized ledgers to have perhaps an, an ongoing permanence that, you know, the, the paintings or the physical sculptures might not have? You know, uh, I don't think I'm as interested in that so much. And also, you know, to just point out, you know, art has had a really good track record as far as like sticking around. For, you know, we have we have objects that are thousands and thousands of years old. So, you know, I'd be happy if something sticks around for a hundred years. I mean, I feel sure. like that would be a success. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all for that, but I guess that's not really the driving um, reason. I, I think it was a it was like allowing me to explore new medium, right? Uh, allowing me to like tap into this new thing that was kind of experimental and just kind of learning by doing. And I also thought of, think of like my involvement with NFTs, like similar to if I took like, if I did like a ceramics residency somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, like I love ceramics. I would love to go and just like immerse myself and make a body of work in ceramics at some point. And so I just think of this as like, I'm doing this like a long-term res residency exploring digital art and just exploring a new material a new medium um uh although i just the residency hasn't ended yet you know and maybe it won't end you know it's become a big part of my part of my work and what's interesting is that the images that i'm making digitally are also influencing my paintings now and the paintings are influencing the digital works so again just being a curious person i feel like Artists are explorers. They're curious. They they want to experiment, and this is just part, a big part of that. Yeah, uh, I want to rewind a bit and and talk more about kind of the the relationship of the contemporary art world with NFTs. If you think collectors will continue to come over, if you think this was kind of a a large speculative craze, uh, and when you're speaking with mm -hmm. them you know, what works and, and really what are they concerned with? You know, I've tried to onboard a lot of collectors into the space. And what I've surprisingly found out is that the collectors that collect physical work, for the most part, um, when they do come into the NFT space, they're more interested in the speculative nature of it. So they usually go towards the PFP side of things which i have absolutely no interest in right. and i think 
I think that just has to do with like all the hype around the casino-like nature of, you know, maybe not anymore, but what was six months ago. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've talked extensively about NFTs with traditional collectors and I think there's a couple of issues, right? So like one is that when you say NFT, it means like 500 different things, but everybody thinks it means one thing. So, you know, you have NFT artists that, that make NFTs, but then you have companies that make NFTs. Uh, then you have um, gambling NFT. You know, there's so many things that fall under the, NF the NFT umbrella. Like I almost wish like the term crypto art or something else existed um, that could kind of describe the art side of things. Maybe it's just digital artists, you know? Um, but I think, that's a really big barrier to entry for a lot of true art collectors that are interested in only art. You know, they hear so much about board apes and crypto punks or what have you, doodles, that they never end up hearing about all the interesting people that are actually making art. Um, so I have I haven't found a successful way of really getting them getting like a lot of them excited about it. I think it's just going to take a lot of time. I think the market being down is actually great for the art. You know, it took out a lot of people that were looky lose. Um, and who's left there, the people that are the real believers, both collectors and the artists. And um, it might be good if people aren't making, you know, a million dollars for a JPEG, you know, like there's very few people that I think deserve that kind of money in the NFT space, uh, let alone and in the art space. Like for me, you know, if you're the work is commanding that kind of price that it means that it has to be like one of the most like forward thinking, groundbreaking uh, works of art. And I don't know if someone's that's been working like for like three years is necessarily that, you know, um, uh, it's hard to be a genius uh you know, yeah. <laughs> you know and then and then i'll say capital rarely accrues to true genius in its time yeah yeah and i think you know and I, and I think we're we're also seeing a big you know like i think of myself as an advocate for other artists and um you know one of the problems that we're going to start seeing is that a lot of these kind of like blue chip artists they're going to have a very hard time replicating that kind of success moving forward you know, an art, a painter like Gerhard Richter, he's been selling works for millions of dollars for decades. Yeah. When he makes a new piece, there's, there's a line out the door of people waiting to, to buy that work. I don't think you're going to get that kind of response with Beeple, right? He's yeah. probably never going to sell anything else for 69 million or even 30 million. You know, it's yeah. going to be hard to replicate that kind of success um and i think it's why you see a lot of these kind of bigger name artists they're they're mostly quiet and they don't release a lot um or if they do they do these massive additions uh, mm -hmm. because what they're hoping is to get you know a couple of thousand dollars from a bunch of people instead of like a, a large sum from one person yeah. and that's unhealthy for an art market you know um it doesn't necessarily build trust for other collectors. And that's, that's another reason why I think these traditional collectors are so scared to come in and buy. You know, they want to know that if they buy something from an artist, it's going to at least be at the same price point, you know, in 10 years, not like 
crash, you know? Um, and it's a big problem we have to solve. I don't know what the solution is in this space, but I think um, it's a big problem. Yeah, I'll say, um, one, when people ask, you know, my definition of crypto arts is really any creative that is looking to use cryptocurrency and blockchain to kind of increase their own sovereignty or to have direct market access, to have, um, you know, things that generally weren't afforded to all creators in the traditional art world. Um, but that is, of course, the, the double-edged of, of sovereignty, right? You're in charge of your own marketing. You're in charge of finding your own collectors. You know, your collectors kind of do uh, become your advocates. But I've, I've seen it happen time and time again where people go on these meteoric rises and then there's nowhere left to go except for down. Uh, exactly, and, yeah. And, and once you lose that momentum... Um, it's really, really tough. And of course, like a lot of people also, they got caught up in the hype, trying to sell as much as quickly. They weren't patient or diligent with their practice. And then in retrospect, of course, they look, you know, kind of, kind of foolish. So, you know, I think yeah, there were a lot, lot of, of lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of people manipulating markets. I mean, there's no other way to put it. There's a handful of collectors that were pumping, you know, 10 artists who were on super rare and um that's the other thing it has a it has a negative effect on the platforms too you know like um in order for like a super rare who great platform i love all the people that work there you know but i saw they just laid off you know 30 percent of their staff that's heartbreaking and i think it, a lot of that comes down to the fact that you know they had this huge boom because you know five or six artists were just selling these insane Right. Uh, price points and how many of those and it was mostly secondary market and it's like how many x copies can we sell in the secondary market in a year or how many you know whoever yeah. right um it's it's not sustainable it's a lot better to have for super rare to have 20 artists sell stuff for like ten thousand dollars every day yeah. right than to have one big sale once a month to like meet that bottom line um but, you know, I, I pay attention to, you know, the volume of a lot of these platforms and for primary market works, it's, it's not a lot. It's like five or 10 sales a, a day. And it's not, um, again, it's just not sustainable, you yeah. know, and, um, well, you know, you, you, they were, they were almost twice the size of artsy, right. Which is, yeah. has been around for a while is probably like largest art selling marketplace out there. Uh, and I think they, yeah. had, they had like twice the employees of Artsy. Yeah. I mean, I see things kind of, you know, ironically, as much as everybody wanted to like destroy the art world and dance on its graves. Um, I actually see things going more toward the gallery model ultimately. And even in the NFT space where yeah. you need, it's hard to be an artist and do all your promotion and everything yourself. You know, it's nice Definitely. to be sovereign, but there's only so many hours in a day. And as you have more demand for your work, you need people to help out. You know, yeah. um, that's just a fact. And that's why when I, you know, I, I work with several galleries and when they sell something, they take 50%, but they do a lot of work for that 50% from storage, shipping, logistics, yeah. PR. I mean, really they do earn good galleries do earn that 50 percent, and sometimes they invest in you for years before they make a single penny back uh you know so um 
but I see, you know, like I'm a big fan of platforms like Ferrofile, which mm-hmm. I think do a great job. There's no hype around their platform. They show solid artists. Okay. Um, things are not astronomical prices. Um, there's fantastic writing about every show. It's very thoughtful and well put together. Um, and I would like to see more like slow growth, um, sustainable platforms like that because it's better for collectors. It's better for artists. It's better just for the entire ecosystem. And it's, um, you know, if we all want artists to succeed and for collectors to be happy and for the space to move along, that's what we need. We need long-term sustainability. Yeah, never the, uh, never really the strength of the cryptocurrency market. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what that means, you know? Like, does it mean platforms also accept fiat? You know, it's... It's all very experimental, you know, like, um, but I see like, I see a lot of these bigger artists eventually, some of them are going to be absorbed by just traditional galleries that do a lot of those, that do the hard job of like representing an artist, you know, and like thinking about their interests long term, like galleries really get a bad rap in the NFT space. And uh, I try to be very vocal that my, like, my galleries and a lot of other artists I know, their galleries really do help them build their careers, their partners. Like I'm working on projects for 2026 right now with some of my galleries. Yeah, so wow. they're working with me every day on those things and they're not going to make another, a single penny off of it until that date. So that's what they're getting that, that 50% for. It doesn't seem anybody has particularly cracked that code yet. And no, that seems to be no one a, has right. That seems to be a very complicated interpersonal uh, endeavor that will take many years to kind of build and foster. Yeah, I think it's. I think we're a good five to ten years away from the NFT market really becoming into something sustainable for artists to where they can like count on it for like year after year for an established artist. I think. Yeah, it's, it's complex because even big players like Pace can come in, you know, um, but they're just doing the same things that the big, the big platforms are doing. Like, you know, like yeah. I remember a year ago meeting with a couple of the platforms and saying, you guys need to hire someone that has some gallery liaison experience who can work with the artist to craft the project long term. And then you need good salespeople who... I mean, it's great that anybody can go to the site and buy, but that's not how art is sold. Really, you need some handholding. You need some scholarship. Hey, there's this guy named Amir on our platform. This is why you should think about purchasing the work. This is what the work means. This is his background. This is his history. You know, really explaining, um, like, because what a lot of galleries do um, is they teach collectors how to be collectors and why to collect and who to collect, you know, they do a lot of education, you know, they, they publish books and catalogs and all of that is to help foster education because with art, you have to know, you know, like if somebody came to, to NFTs today and you just show them an X copy or whoever the big name is, right? Uh, Pac, they'd just be like, I don't get it, right? You need somebody to sit there and educate them about this is the lineage. This is the history. This is the ideas behind it. This is their track record. And that's what a gallerist does. Not an auction house, but a gallerist. You know, right. auction houses, I'm super against. I think they should get, get the hell out of NFTs. 
<laughs> uh, I think it's one of the worst things that could have happened to NFTs because even the people in the art world don't like auction houses. I don't know why everyone in NFTs thinks Right, wasn't great. that so funny when everybody's aspiration was to sell at Christie's and Sotheby's when nobody yeah. in the contemporary art world would ever want that? Yeah, Christie's and Sotheby's are great when you have a very established market for decades on end. Right. And you can handle that kind of like price action. But for the average artist, it's a death sentence. I mean, when I sell a painting in the contract with the collectors, it says you cannot resell this painting for five years unless right. you offer it to the gallery first. You can't put it up for auction. And that is a, you know, I have a fairly established art market. And if one of my paintings went to auction, I would... I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because then you're losing complete control of your market. Mm. And then you're letting these small group of market manipulators um, handle, you know, your career. Yeah. You know, um, it's very tricky. And I don't think most people in the NFC space realize how bad they can be for an artist, um, for an artist's sustainability. It all goes back to sustainability. Yeah. I was with somebody in, uh, we held a conference in Paris. They were speaking there. Their work had just been sold at Sotheby's. They were so angry with how it was marketed. Um, and that, you know, that price point is forever. Uh, yeah. And they had worked years, years to get to, you know, a place and, uh, you know, no reserve auction, just cut, you know, everything that they had built by like 80%. Um, yeah. It's really, yeah, auction houses are, auction houses are just places where you can sell anything and they will take on anything that they can, they think they can make a lot of money. So it's not even like a feather in your cap to have something to go in auction. Like they'll, they sell underwear, you know, they sell yeah. clothing by celebrities. They sell cigars, they sell boats. It's, um, it's not a stamp of approval from the art world, uh, you know, um, yeah, they, they're, they're places where financial transactions happen. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't really add, you know, they don't, like, and if that money was gone, auction houses would be gone tomorrow. So really, galleries are much more, the gallery model is much more sustainable and healthier for artists in the NFT space or otherwise um, than, you know, an auction house. You know, I think a big reason uh, or a, a huge part of the challenge is that we haven't figured out a great way to begin to kind of display and show NFTs. Um, paintings, paintings, of course, look beautiful on the wall. NFTs on a TV screen, to me, it just doesn't cut it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a big, I think that's a big problem. You know, I mean, I've seen, I mean, look, I, I went to MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA a couple of months ago, and I saw beautiful digital work on a monitor it was super considered but i think a lot of people think with nfts they're like just slap it on a samsung frame have the wires strewn out have it loop with like 20 different artists and call it a day they don't realize that when you display work the frame the color of the frame the size of the frame what kind of room it's in all of these things matter to like the final interpretation and meaning of the work so it has to be highly considered and it's not it's expensive it's time consuming and that's what digital artists have been doing you know um for years if you go to a doug aiken show uh you know 
he probably spent three months just thinking about how the work is going to be displayed in this dark room. Um, there's a lot of nuance and subtlety to the way that these works are displayed that further the meaning and the content of the work. And it's no different if you're making, you know, NFTs. So I think it's up to the artists and the venues that show NFTs to kind of think about these things. And, and, you know, not everything has to be projected on a giant monitor and, you know, look like a, a rave or something, you know, like that's yeah. a big mistake I see is like every NFT show just feels like a nightclub and yeah. they don't have to, you know, the galleries have white cubes for a reason. There are these sterile environments where the artists can go into and then they can determine how they want their vision viewed by the audience. And so it's up to the artist to kind of like make these demands and say, I don't want to show my work this way. I want to show it this way. And if the venue can't accommodate, then you just say, no, thank you. And we didn't touch on it, but I bet this is uh, kind of the, the basis for your uh, kind of disdain for PFP projects. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, own, I own some PFPs. It's not that I like absolutely like hate them, but I, I just think it's different. It has nothing to do with art for the most sure. part, you know? Um, uh, I think PFPs, for the most part, they're collectibles and collectibles are great. You know, I used to collect stamps and baseball cards and basketball cards as a kid. Like I'm not against collectibles either. I mean, that's what they are. Yeah. But I think a lot of people buy PFPs thinking I'm going to get rich off this. And some people do, yeah. which is great, but the vast majority don't if they don't get out, get out on time. And, and they're under this false illusion that this like thing that essentially is like an updated garbage pail kid card is going to somehow give them generational wealth. Um, <laughs> and to me, that's insane. You should collect something that's a PFP just because you think it's fun or you, you like it, you know? Yeah. And if it goes up in value, great. But when you start getting into like financial investments, it gets really tricky. Uh, we're out of time. I definitely want to give the last word to you. Let people know where they can find you um, and see more of your work. Um, well, you could, you could see my work on my website. Um, I don't have anything NFT related coming out soon. Uh, I, I've been releasing a lot of stuff on Tezos, uh, but I'm, I'm going to release something on ETH sooner than later. Um, but um, right now, the biggest thing I have happening is um, at the end of the month, I'm having a solo show, an overview of my work from the last 10 years at the Fowler Museum Amazing. of Art in Los Angeles. And then the following month, I will have a solo show at Shulamit Nazarian Gallery in L.A., and the following month, I'll have a solo booth at Art Basel, Hong Kong. Great. So a really busy three months. But after that, I'll get back to uh, minting some work. Well, congratulations on all that. I really appreciate the time. Um, yeah, thanks, man. I, I appreciated the conversation. Yeah, thanks for your insights. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Colborne Bell. We were joined by Amir Fala, artist. Uh, this is the DXM podcast. That's Deminti and Mocha. And we thank everybody for tuning in. Yeah, thanks. Breaking news.